Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. I'm Kiss. I am Dama. And we are continuing our On the Line series, talking with the folks on the front lines in various parts of our culture, society, and world in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis. We have a very special guest on the line with us. Antonio Gutierrez is here. So we've been very serious in this series and we will continue to be. There is like a a little question that sometimes we throw that I feel like just to mix things up, we're going to throw at you here. You heard us do a couple little animal intro noises there. That's a a long-standing tradition on Ergo. If you could have any animal noise be your like intro music, what animal would you choose? Uh, Probably a cat. Mm-hmm. I like meow. Like I like cats. So something about meowing or yeah, that would be my intro. We talking? <laughs> we talking like house cat or big cat? Ooh, uh, I came with the follow up questions today. <laughs> ready? To, yeah. Ready to uh, I think a house cat. Uh, I think any cat will be strong enough. <laughs> so uh, the other tradition that we're we're keeping going through this series, uh, it, we start all interviews with a two part question. Um, and then that question is, in this time, this moment, this season, however you define time, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Hmm. So the world's treating me well. Uh, I feel very privileged uh, from the work that I do, right? I get to work remotely and get to support individuals, especially during this like crisis uh, that we're facing. Um how I'm treating the world. I think that I'm doing what I can uh, to support um, my other fellow comrades. Um, And I'm trying to be optimistic about where we go from here. I think we also have a good opportunity as horrible as this crisis has been, right? To also identify some common like targets and oppressors uh, besides uh, just housing, but in other sectors um, that we have seen, right? Prior to COVID and that now have been clearly identified for many of us even more um, for us to kind of do something about it. Yeah, let's let I would like to stay there in this this notion of, you know, we'll obviously talk about the specifics of the responses um, and just name the the problem of, of what's going on throughout this conversation. Uh, but but I would appreciate starting with those opportunities um, because I'm very interested in one, like you said, how uh, processes are revealing themselves and, and power is becoming more visible and we're identifying decision makers in real time. And, and that's a really valuable like education for all of us. Um, and the other thing that's been feeling like opportunity at this time is the, the things that we name that can feel too idealistic or too utopian or too big or not immediate enough. There's now like a space or an opening. Uh, and I really want to crack that open with how people think about housing as a structure. And so for you in your work, uh, just talk a little bit about, about how those opportunities are, are presenting themselves and, and making new possibilities for you. Sure. Um, so again, my name is Antonio Gutierrez, right? I'm one of the co-founders of the Autonomous Tenants Union. I'm an undocumented gender non-conforming uh, immigrant tenant. And so there's definitely a lot of different opportunities right now that we're seeing, right? I think when we talked about cancellation of rent, right? For the first time, ATU is seeing a movement of responses around being upset that the landlord's economy or the landlord's 
right to profit is much more important than providing resources uh, to families that need it the most during this pandemic, right? And that it only shows that in the economic system that we live in, certain individuals have much more of a right to either profit, uh, to either exploit and oppress others. Um, And that ultimately we're seeing the shortcomings of that economic system as far as how it responds to a health pandemic is the one that we're seeing right now, right? And how we haven't done the work, right, to prepare for something like this. And actually, capitalism only allows something like this to happen uh, and to be taken to the effects that it currently is taking right now. Um, some of the opportunities that we have seen, right, is this amazing ability for us to create alternatives uh, and to support one another, such as these mutual aid funds that have been created throughout the nation, right, and worldwide of, of one another providing our economic capital that we have, right, and putting it in a collective usage pod uh, that could be accessed by those that need it the most. Um, my organization, ATU, but also OCAD, Organized Communities Against Deportation, uh, that I work with uh, as my daily job, right? Uh, we have created a COVID-19 fund and we're uh, in in communication with undocumented families that unfortunately were not part of the stimulus package, uh, that are not going to get unemployment. Um, And so those are the different opportunities and realities that we're seeing more and more, right, of those that are directly impacted by COVID-19. But in reality, right now, we're all being directly impacted, right? And so how do we take this opportunity um, is going to be kind of the questions that we all need to kind of answer as things unfold. Uh, but I think for now, the cancellation of rent really seems like a possibility as far as how people are approaching the topic, right? And making sure that they they stand their ground with the landlord uh, and that instead of paying the rent, right, that they're going to go and buy the necessities that they need for their families because overall, Housing is a human right, and no person should have the right to evict uh, families or individuals uh, during this economic or like this pandemic crisis that we have, uh, because ultimately we're only as safe and healthy, right, as the individuals that are lower within our social structure. Uh, And unfortunately, those individuals in the lower social structure are also essential workers, that don't receive benefits like healthcare uh, and that are continuously putting their bodies on the line. But that also many of us, even those that are privileged, right, to uh, have an ongoing like income source and job, regardless of the situation that we're facing right now, that we're still like going outside, going to grocery stores. We're interacting with those individuals, right? And, and at any point, uh, we are showing how fragile our system itself it is. Mm. There's so much to expand on, but let's stay specifically on the rent conversation um, because I kind of see it happening. Obviously, the conversations are interconnected, but I kind of see two separate conversations. There's the like very kind of heady online ideological conversation around uh, social structures and economic systems. And then there's the reality of what does it take for people to be organizing with their neighbors on a month to month, week to week basis. Um, and, and because that's the work that is so much of what y'all do, I'm curious how the conversations and those interactions uh, with people who are interested in building coalition between neighbors as a way of protecting themselves against uh, eviction and other forms of exploitation, how have those conversations shifted? 
Um, and are there any things that you're finding more and more people open to now that they would necessarily wouldn't have been six months ago? Yeah, I think people are reacting based on need right now, right? Uh, this is a reality that many individuals have lost their job, uh, that they don't have the same financial income as they did before uh, COVID-19, right? And so when there is a need of not knowing how you're going to pay the rent uh, on April 1st, right, or now the one that is coming up May 1st, it's putting people in the decision-making, right, about whether they are going to engage with an organization like ATU, which they might have had contact with before, right? But that they actively wanted to avoid any issues with the landlord, right? right? We're known as the organization that if you talk to us, that landlords are not going to like you, that they're going to try to evict you, that organizing doesn't get uh, things done, right? But we know differently. We know that based on the work that ETU was doing prior to COVID-19, right, that we were getting already results, that we were organizing tenants, um, especially those facing eviction uh, from gentrifier developers, but that ultimately this aspect of housing as a human right um, is now more than ever a discussion or a topic that people want to kind of plug in, right, and kind of want to understand if it is a right, how does this benefit and affect me? Uh, and what are some of the things that I need to do in order to best have the conversation with my landlord about why I cannot pay the rent uh, the upcoming first of the month? Uh, and realizing that when you do that with your neighbors, with your other comrades that are facing the same situation that we all are right now, that you can get a much better response when having those conversations with your landlord uh, than when you're just yourself, right? And you're doing it on your own. Uh, and so I think that that opportunity is really rising. Uh, but we also acknowledge, right, that even with this opportunity, because of COVID-19, there's also shifts or differences in how those interactions are occurring, right? Mm. From individuals like Zooming tenant meetings with their neighbors instead of their courtyards or some kind of like uh, space or maybe somebody's apartment to that so that they can con- like converse and talk about strategy. Now they're having to do it via a computer screen, right? And, and so this relationship building that I think is essential to tenant organizing or just any other type of sustainable organizing where you have to build relationships with one another is becoming extremely difficult mm-hmm. uh, through like screen setups, right? And so um, I want to acknowledge that that's going to be a challenge, I think, that for the long term, uh, we need to understand and be aware of about how we go around that that, that challenge itself, uh, because we don't want overall, right, for anybody that is engaging right now with the rent freeze or cancellation of rent campaign to think that just by clicking the petition that that's your way of contributing, right? Or that that's your way of showing up. Uh, We want to make sure that people understand that it's going to require much more than just one click, Uh, that yes, our tactics and strategies are going to be relying on people to be very digitalized, right? And to engage in a certain way, Uh, but that ultimately we still want the type of engagement that goes beyond our own individualistic need, uh, such as I need my rent to be canceled, right? Because I cannot pay. And to start seeing the experiences and relationships and connections that exist right now uh, towards all the demands, right? There's demands about cancellation of rent. There's demands for better cash support for individuals that need it. There's demands to release individuals from prisons and detention centers. Um, And so... Once we start acknowledging where those demands are coming from, why were those demands 
not there before or how did they take place prior to COVID-19? And then at the matter of fact, right, is that now that we hear it, what are we going to do about it? Um, because I think when people talk about going back to normal, right, like what is that normal that we really want to go back to? Because my community was already exploited and oppressed prior to COVID-19. Uh, it's just now making like mainstream media attention, right? Yeah. So. Leading into to this question, I want to first just like commend and uplift you and, and what you're doing and affirm or, or as we call it, ga- you know, offer some gas. Um, <laughs> because I think, you know, what history has, has taught us is it is the folks that have been doing the like on the ground grassroots work when things are in the shadows or not yet popular or not yet prevalent for everybody uh, that then emerge as like the educators or the leadership. Once there is this flashpoint, whether it's a crisis like we're in now or a media story or some other type of like, you know, economic disaster, um, we find that the folks that were doing the work. uh, So for example, you know, when Ferguson explodes, the people who were, who were in leadership are the folks that were paying attention to how mass incarceration and patriarchy and, you know, class warfare intersect and we're doing that frontline work. And so I'm hearing that similarly here of, you know, we are now in this moment where people need a lot of knowledge, right? People need to like figure out how to take some new tactics. Um, and I'm just glad to hear that there were and have been spaces that were working at this intersection of rent oppression, but also like documentation and, you know, immigration struggle. Um, and so with that, the, the question is actually pretty simple. Um, but the gas was complex. The gas, the gas was, was, was complex, but the, the question is simple. <laughs> um, in this time, there are a lot of people that probably may be familiar with ATU, may have been familiar with tenant organizing, or are just like now fresh to it completely. Um, what are some of these like fundamental concepts or lessons or values uh, that people need to like understand in terms of what tenant organizing really is? Like, what, what are some of the like fundamental specifics um, for this type of organizing? Yeah. So I think the Autonomous Tenants Union, right, when we first started the organization about four years ago, uh, right, it's an all volunteer like tenant collective still to this day, right, that we haven't fallen into this like nonprofit industrial complex aspect of structure, of having staff, of having an executive director, of having uh, like bringing as much money as we can, right, but understanding that the power that we do have is the ability that tenants can organize one another, that they can provide collective knowledge to one another, and that they can face their targets or their landlords together, right? Uh, and so when we've done tenant like organizing work before, uh, one of the most challenging things, right, that we uh, have encountered prior to COVID-19, right, is this aspect of uh, housing as a human right and the separation between housing as a human right versus property rights, right? And how like people especially immigrant communities um, that come to this country, right, looking for that American dream, looking for those opportunities to have their own home, their own, like, picket white fence, right? It is really hard for them to get to a sense of, well, the landlord owns this property. They own my unit. They own my home. So why to say what power do I have when they're telling me that, that I need to leave or that I cannot complain about conditions uh, or that they are going to, call eyes if I don't like do what they want me to do or to pay them more rent, right? And so when having those discussions with individuals, right, 
uh, ATU has always been straightforward uh, with our own political stance, right? As an anti-capitalist project that sees capitalism, that sees private property uh, as a form of exploitation uh, that doesn't allow us to get to a goal of housing as a human right, and that we need to be critical of that economic system and those processes in order to really talk about what housing as a human right will look like in reality, um, and that until then, we're never going to be able to accomplish that. So yes, in a way, we do antagonize landlords, right? Not because of what landlords are or their behavior, but what they symbolize. And for us, what they symbolize is this aspect of class warfare and classism that exists in our society, right? And where individuals of power regardless of whether it's because you're a landlord or because you're a politician or because you're an owner of a huge company, right? They possess more power than those individuals that are much more essential to our society. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they exploit it every day um, and that are still human, but that these differences still exist. Um, and that COVID-19 is still just showcasing how much those differences also play a role or a factor in how the pandemic is affecting different communities itself. So to that uh, distinction that you made there between, you know, that antagonism being because of what they symbolize, obviously we have an individualist mindset in this, like for the most part, dominant power has an individualist mindset in this country, right? So as a result, uh, people in power tend to get defensive when they think of themselves as a symbol of something oppressive. Um, when you're working with tenants who are organizing in that confrontation, uh, whether it's interpersonally or messaging wise, how do y'all think about communicating that idea of landlord as symbol, uh, not in a way that lets the person off the hook, but also recognizes complicity? Like, how do y'all walk that balance? It's a very tricky balance. Uh, I think the way that we deal with that is by creating a tenant collective identity, right? So the setting when we like, kind of hear from a tenant for the first time, right? Uh, they focus a lot around like my landlord, my landlord, and I need this. Uh, I already told them this, blah, blah, blah. So it's a very individual like yeah. sense. But when you bring that tenant to a tenant like collective space uh, and they get to share their experience or their like story, right, around what that interaction has been, how's that going, uh, how they might feel, right? Maybe they feel very disempowered, they feel very afraid, and they get to hear that other tenants, right, have had very similar like situations or experiences with their own landlord that is not the same landlord that they have, right? Mm -hmm. They start creating evaluations and relationships around how this is a systemic issue, right? And that all landlords, they might not be telling you the same thing, right? Or oppressing tenants the same way, but that they are oppressing them. And that a form of oppression can take many ways. Mm -hmm. And by discussing what that looks like from one tenant to another with two different landlords, they have the same experience or the same fear, the same feeling about how that situation is making them feel on the day to day. Then all of a sudden they're able to make that assessment that this is a broader issue that goes beyond their own like individual like situation. And that is an amplifying situation or issue mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed and that we only get to do that by, by sharing our story, right? And creating a collective identity as tenants. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really interested also in in hearing like the intersection of your your work and focuses, um, and so I would love to 
hear you just, you know, think or, or share how your work with OCAD is overlapping with your work with ATU right now, even if it's not like directly happening in the same space um, or if they are like separate focuses right now, which I can't imagine they are in, in, in too real of a sense. Um, but yeah, how, do, you know, this specific issue around the power dynamics of our economy, specifically around housing and shelter, and then the political dynamics of citizenship, nationalism, artificial border, um, and then the, the carceral like af- effects of deportation and all of the other violence that's taking place. How are those forces and dynamics interplaying for you and your, your political work right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just want to voice by that, uh, again, here in Albany Park, uh, which is the neighborhood that I live in and I mostly organize um, at, uh, I think we have set up a structure, right, that prior to COVID-19 is something very unique, uh, where OCAD and ATU were already making those connections, right? When the election of 2016 happened, uh, we as organizations came together and created the Albany Park Defense Network, right? The APDN, uh, which by now is becoming kind of the main intermediate like platform for individuals, especially in Albany Park, to request any type of financial support or uh, to voice any concerns with their landlords, right? Especially uh, like within everything that we've been hearing from illegal lockdowns, right? To uh, landlords telling tenants that they need to like pay rent or else, uh, and the else can be implied around ICE or immigration related, right? We have been knowing that that intersectionality between our membership existed, right? There are undocumented tenant immigrants uh, that live in Albany Park and that both ATU and OCAD are in contact with. Uh, With the creation of APDN, we were able to make those um, assessments around how deportation, eviction, uh, mass incarceration are a form of displacement. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to approach it from a political perspective around creating Albany Park as a displacement-free zone, right? And that meant all those three types of displacement and any other way of displacement that we can identify uh, that our economic system currently uh, puts in place, right, to oppress uh, communities of color. With that said, none of us would ever imagine, right, that we would have had to put many of these structures uh, in place uh, due to something like COVID-19, but that it has shown uh, its results and its fruit uh, in the labor that we've been doing the last four years uh, since we really started all these different groups and uh, we all kind of came together to work on what a coalition front uh, to defend those in Albany Park, right, Uh, as a community area. Yeah, and that ultimately... Yeah, it has given us a, a huge advantage, I think, than other communities mm-hmm. uh, that are still struggling with that. Um, yeah, I think APDN, by like both OCAD and ATU members are benefiting out of the resources that we're all putting together through that platform, such as the food pantries, the mutual aid funds, uh, any type of response, right, all the way from uh, individuals needing delivery of food because they're too elderly to go outside yeah. or they're, they're high risk and people delivering food, right? It starts with things like that that really shows what this mutual aid alternative can look like, uh, that is at a very micro community level, right? And that we don't need any resources from the government or from top, top like law, right, to get to us, that we can create those resources ourselves uh, and that we're demonstrating that it can be possible anywhere as long as people are organizing and communicating with one another. Mm. 
So two things. One, uh, listeners, if you're interested in figuring out how to contribute to the Albany Park Defense Network, it's already one of the organizations listed in our um, COVID stimulus redistribution plan. You can find that on our website, ergoradio.com slash COVID. Um, I wanted to talk for a second about the particularities of Albany Park. You know, I, I love what you were saying about this idea of creating this coalition front uh, and, and forging this example and in practice of a displacement-free zone. It's a neighborhood that has people from all over the world in a way that very few neighborhoods in Chicago do. And so I'm wondering, in your work pre-pandemic or in, in the midst of it, are there any conceptions around land ownership or tenant-landlord relationships that you've heard from people from other parts of the world um, that have either been helpful in framing your work uh, or just have complicated your understanding. Um, because, you know, just because people are living within the instruction doesn't mean that that's the framework that they bring. So are there any any examples from other places that have been fruitful for you? Yeah, I think um, prior to COVID-19, right, we explore uh, this aspect of community land trust. Uh, we have talked about cooperatives with our membership SATU, right? Um and all those different models that exist, right? Especially when you talk about community land trust, mm-hmm. it can go very left and it can also be very like middle liberal kind of like, oh, it's good that we're creating affordable housing, right? But in reality, it's not really like housing that is really accessible for those that really need it. Um, and so we're critical of those things. Uh, I think that there's definitely very interesting autonomous models, right? Of housing internationally, right? Mm-hmm. We looked at uh, movements like uh, Los Panchos in Mexico City, right? That have created autonomous communities, Los, Los Zapatistas yeah. in Mexico as well, right? And of course, our, our comrades in Palestine that continue to fight this forced displacement from the Israelis like armies, right? And so, there's lots of different movements that inspire us that unfortunately living within the United States, right, kind of the eye of the beast uh, <laughs> when you talk about capitalism, uh, it is very difficult to have those conversations around what it means to collectively own land or to take land away from the private sector, right, Um it is very difficult because of the communities that we work with, uh, knowing that many of them come to the United States because they actually want to build wealth, right? Because they want to have their own private like uh, property. And so those instances are uh, very challenging and a lot of tension that you have to kind of go through and that it really takes a long time to really get people there if anything, COVID-19 is just accelerating somehow this opportunity for individuals to be wanting to pay attention, right? Or to want to learn more because of the sudden they are now directly impacted, Mm. right? Um, And so that is our way of getting in. I think as an organizer, right? If I think as an organizer, that is my way to get in, to agitate them and to get them to hopefully experience and to hear what other tenants are also seeing, right? So that they can create that collective identity. And then after they do that and we address housing concerns, right? Then we can really talk about like, now let's talk about our intersectional stories uh, and experiences that we all have, right? And we can get to more of these other analysis, right? Of making relationships between eviction and deportation and mass incarceration, uh, which, as I said, we were already ultimately doing. Uh, Now everything is just kind of coming much more to the front and in our face. And that shows, right, that it's not just Albany Park, but I think in the city of Chicago, 
we enjoy this kind of benefit that uh, organizations have come together before and that are now coming together again in multiple common fronts, uh, as many as we can, right, so that we can allocate our resources and capacity into our, our common targets uh, and, and creating the policies that we need, knowing, I think from us as ATU, right, to not come out as like performances, uh, that really this is the opportunity not to put more band-aids uh, onto something that we already have seen broken and that we know that is broken, but that ultimately is the opportunity to create a new normal uh, that we want to be proud of and that unfortunately is going to take a lot of capacity and a lot of conversations to make it to make it happen, and that I hope that we get that done uh, at this moment of time. Because uh, if not, we're going to be seeing a lot more suffering in the upcoming weeks uh, as we see COVID nineteen continue to affect communities of color. I just saw all of your future Zoom meetings passing before your eyes when you were talking <laughs> about that. Uh, you, you mentioned not settling for kind of these reformist reforms, Band-Aids. What are some of the Band-Aid reformist reforms that you've seen put out there um, that, you know, kind of sound like these panaceas that you're urging people to reject? Uh, the stimulus checks is a big one, right? When you give the same amount uh, of money without taking into consideration that people have different incomes and mm-hmm. that on top of that, the government has that data, they know how much income people made, right? Because they use their IRS income taxes to be able to bring them or like give them the stimulus check, the direct deposit. It's just like a huge contradiction to me, right? When we try to be equitable without like realizing that we haven't been equitable for <laughs> centuries. So we cannot just like do that with a stimulus check that is the same amount. Um, and that also it excluded, as I said, right, many uh, other essential workers, such as our undocumented community. Um, some of the other policies right, that I've seen is uh, mayors and governors trying to take as much power as they can within this crisis, right? <coughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and putting many of those resources or funding uh in creating like policy that is not really taking into consideration those that are directly impacted and seeing the lack of support that exists right now, right? Or taking into consideration organizations like ATU or OCAD, right? Into making the best possible policies by using those mayoral or governmental um, like powers. Um, and the last thing, it will be like anything that kind of creates more debt for tenants, right? There, <laughs> there was a... Um, a proposal in city council uh, last week uh, that kind of got already shut down, right? And that SATU, we were starting to work with the alderman's office that kind of put this proposal together. Um, but this idea that tenants should be excused for paying rent as long as they pay the landlord back at one point or another should also be excluded from the conversations that will really get us to a solution to the issues that we're addressing right now. Um, Because the income of the landlord should not be taken more into as a priority than the income or the financial stability of low-income working-class individuals that really are the majority of the percentage of essential workers that we keep uh, praising, right? And that we keep uh, saying how essential they are. But in reality, we continuously like post the mean that reflects that, right? Well, our actions are not really uh, demonstrating that to those essential workers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and like the false equivalency in that of like, 
a roof over my head is in the same conversation as the status of your investment portfolio, right? Like <laughs> the, the the fact that we are even measuring these two units at the same time is just inhumane, right? Like, or find the solidarity of if your fear is you are too over leveraged in, in real estate investment, that then the roof over your head is in danger, then let's find solidarity in that and make sure that none of our roofs can be revoked from us um, and, and address that. Let's, let's get deeper to the structure. So kind of in that vein, I have two more things that I would like to get out of this conversation. Kiss, you j- jump in with whatever you need. One, I want to do a little bit of power mapping kind of out of that. Um, and then two, just like a little bit of visioning and I will feel... I will feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, like your equivalent of a smoothie. You're like, these are yeah. the ingredients, and then I'm going to feel smooth. I'll feel good. So so it feels to me, and I'm, I'm curious as someone who has so much more experience, uh, that there's like a, a, a an element of power that doesn't get discussed enough here, right? Like we talk about residents and we talk about landlords. And in that conversation, you may enter in like developers, larger housing companies and like local policymakers. Uh, but it, it doesn't feel like we are discussing the financial institutions, the banking in, uh, system, like private equity, maybe because they they can move with more invisibility. Uh, but it feels like the people that we name, the landlords, the politicians, the developers, they are all beholden and subordinate to this larger foundational structure that like, I think doesn't have to come to the table because we are not equipped to name them effectively. And, and so like, I guess I'm speaking to like the, the limit of my understanding. I'm about to like be towards my ignorance. Uh, but like, how do we, from your perspective, start to have that bigger conversation of, you know, there are a few entities that could within a day say, hey, we're just going to take this loss or we are forced to take this loss. And now everyone can have their their home, right? Like at every level, at every socioeconomic status, you know, from from people experiencing poverty all the way up to like, you know, middle-class, upper-class executives. We're all paying these mortgages. We're all paying these rents. That's all being funneled to it feels like the same actors, uh, but they are not a part of the conversation, maybe because it's too big. From your perspective on the ground, do you have any sense of how we can name that power dynamic more effectively? I know that's a really big question. Hmm. And I don't have the answers myself either. So I'm still trying <laughs> to figure it out. So so we're working with you. You don't have to <laughs> feel like an expert on this. I, I think overall when um, with ATU, right, we get the privilege of really being very direct to the tenants that we work with, right? Uh, and to demonstrate where our political values lay um, because of our mission, because we are very openly anti-capitalist project, right? Uh, the, the word capitalism, right? And the conversations about this big actor that never gets to be mentioned, that never gets to be on the negotiating table, right? Um, it gets to be conversed within the strategies that tenants are taking, right? So when tenants are deciding that they're going to do a rent strike, right? They understand that the reason why that's powerful, especially they get the whole building or as many of their tenants and neighbors to do it at the same time, right? Is because the landlord is going to have an effect or like his profit making ability is going to have an effect. That's going to then water it down, right? Or like go towards him not being able to supposedly not being able to him, they achieve, right? Because landlords can take many genders. Um, But the, 
they cannot pay their mortgage, right? Or that they cannot pay the maintenance, uh, which is all the reasons why that they've been saying that cancellation of rent will not work, right? Uh, but all of a sudden, if they also complain and acknowledge their own, like, actor, right? Then they will acknowledge that, like, their bank could also just not have their mortgage that, that month, right? Uh, and then the bank could also do the same thing with their investors. The problem is that, like, nobody wants to do that because then all of a sudden, we all realize that we're all just going after these like invisible money that doesn't really exist, that gets created within our capitalist system, as we've been seeing that it has been created in the last two weeks by elected officials uh, and politicians. And that ultimately, like nobody kind of talks about the elephant in the room, which really is like, we don't have access to healthcare for all individuals, right? Because the pharmacy industry profits out of people dying, out of people not having access to healthcare. Um, we don't have access to food for everybody, right? Because capitalism does that exactly for those reasons. And so unless we talk about that elephant in the room uh, within those conversations, then yeah, it's going to be a very difficult like conversations to have because we all ultimately can say, well, it's not my fault. Is that other person's fault? And then that person can do the same. And then that person can do the same all the way until we're all like, pulling our fingers at, uh, at capitalism. And then what, what are we going to do about it then, right? Even when we identify it as the target, what are we willing to do uh, as a society at this moment in time? That is going to be a question that I think I cannot answer on my own. I just pictured a, uh, an elephant with the Monopoly hat and the Monica. <laughs> no, that was, was the saying, elephant in the room. It feels like there is, is one elephant, but we're just all in different rooms, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the same elephant. We just have to go to the room that it's in <laughs> and tell them. So um, I, 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 I have a question that we can all answer and not to put you on the spot, uh, because to your point of like, you're not equipped to answer all of the, the questions of capitalism and the system, and we're not asking or demanding that of you, uh, but appreciate hearing your perspective from your experience. Um, but but Kiss, you could jump in on this, and, I, and I'll try to share as well. Um, to give context, right, like my, my entry point into, into movement uh, was in resistance to policing and incarceration, um, and very quickly in that work, found the tradition of abolition and like uphold that lineage and that consciousness pretty much at the forefront of like, how I see the whole world. Um, and so in that, that then pushes me to go beyond just like, oh, we need, you know, strikes in prisons. Uh, you know, we need better conditions. Oh, we need to sentence police officers. Uh, the, the question then becomes, I need to be able to imagine, articulate the world where these conditions do not exist. Right. So so going past stop evicting us to we have set up a structure where that is not even a possibility. Uh, and so I want us to all just like kind of name the sights, the sounds, the images, the relationships, uh, or like the hard political decisions or campaigns, if that helps, of our vision of like what an abolitionist housing, re you know, reality or platform looks like, uh, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does anybody want to go first? You want to start it off, Dave? I'll, I'll kick it off. So, so, <laughs> um, so, so for me, one of the things I'm interested in is is somebody who is not organized with or as a tenant um, is learning the lessons of successful rent strikes uh, and then figuring out how to connect them to multiple spaces. So as opposed to, you know, we are one building that has uh, a cooperative 
praxis. We are a neighborhood or a community that then, you know, those elephants then have to come to the same table. Um, so that's like at, at like a base level to start the conversation. And I think that then leads to this this notion of cooperative model where we are not dependent upon the market. Um, and, you know, one of the stats that like trip me out and I tell young people um, is that like with every metric that we have right now, uh, maybe the pandemic has changed this. There are more vacant unused housing units than there are homeless people um, by a significant number, right? So that means this is not a problem of scarcity or availability of resource. This is a problem of human relationship and how we are making decisions to distribute. Um, And so with me, I think then housing and food, local food, urban agriculture being connected and that all being within um, communal units. So basically, from everybody's residence, they should be in walking distance of some type of physical space that institutionalized taking care of our fundamental needs. So everybody should be in walking distance of a space organizing and distributing food, a space that is, you know, taking care of health and mental health, uh, child care and elderly care, cultural and artistic development, um, and that those spaces then also are interconnected in terms of maintaining relationships, resolving conflict, and like transforming our our humanity. Basically making the state smaller, so to speak, right? So like the level of the block club has some type of autonomy and sovereignty, and then also going to a global level that kind of erases nation state boundaries. um, And that we have some type of way to cooperate um, outside of like Twitter or solidarity campaigns with people around the world. And we're able to create real political relationships Oh, and the skills to maintain housing. That's the thing that I feel like really injured on is like, we don't know how to like rebuild a wall, do the electricity, make sure the plumbing is okay, you know, fill the pothole on the street. Within your network, we should all be have that knowledge. We don't need school to teach us these other things. We should just live with each other and learn how to maintain our community. And from that, become as creative and responsible as possible. I think that's my that's my attempt of my vision of abolishing housing. So a market could exist within my framework, but we are not dependent upon it. That's for luxury, right? Like you could have a condo. We just need to not have more condos than we do housing for for people to to be in need. Um, And that there is no notion of like the public housing of like the government owns it. The people can use our collective resources to create it, but then it should be bestowed upon the families and communities that are stewarding it and depending upon that land and resources, and then is able to be transferred and sustained through generations. Uh, So basically free housing for, for multiple generations without taxation of small people. All right. That's some good shit. That, that, that. Yeah. <laughs> you you want you want to give it a give it a shot? I got some, but I'll, you can go first. Uh, sure. So I think overall, right, one of the main uh, like visions of ATU, right, is this decommodification of housing. Uh, we believe that housing is so commodified right now, right, that it it is not a right whatsoever, right. It is a commodification and a creation of profit for certain individuals. Um, so that should be the first way that we start addressing some of these major concerns that we're dealing with right now. Um, when we think about the, the commodification of housing, right, we need to think about that certain housing should not be commodified and that they should be within the public sector, uh, but that there should also be public regulation in order to make sure that that occurs, right? Because we we understand that even when individuals are told to do something, right, that if, not, if it's not regulated, unfortunately, within capitalism, somebody will take advantage of the situation itself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so when we look at uh, the strategy around cancellation of rent, uh, right, in a practical first step to do uh, as far as how we see our strategy is for us to use this opportunity to agitate as many tenants as possible and to do rent strikes, to start complaining to the landlords about the situation and to start thinking about that just because I'm a tenant doesn't mean that I'm less powerful or that my voice and my situation is less concerning than my landlords or the banks or the financial institution uh, that is telling me otherwise. Um, And that we need to dismantle those institutions that oppress and terrorize individuals in our community, right? So when we talk about the eviction process, right, which, of course, the governor Prisker in Illinois, right, at least canceled for the time being during the pandemic, right, the sheriff's office carries out evictions, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we think about the sheriff's uh, office or uh, institutions like ICE that are still detaining and and deporting our community members, regardless of this pandemic, like uh, the Chicago Police Department or law enforcement and with their surveillance, um, we really need to talk about dismantling some of those institutions in order to get uh, to a better place or society, and that we won't be able to do that until we really realize, right, that uh, regardless of how much we want to make housing, healthcare, uh, access to education, a human right, that is not the reality of where we are at right now. Uh, That is going to take a long time uh, because overall profit has been taking a priority over giving or providing human rights to individuals. Uh, in our nation and in our world, and that it is redistribution of land and wealth, especially for those that have been um, disproportionately disenfranchised and oppressed during centuries of development of this country, that also needs to be acknowledged, right? The fact that the 1% has made their profit out of everybody else in this country and that they get to walk away from this experiment or this situation with all that wealth should not be the case, right? And so we are going to have to talk about redistribution of wealth, of land, and we're going to have to talk about it within a popular education lens, right? So that we can create this notion that we collectively already possess all the knowledge that we need in order to create all these alternatives, right? Um, I'm trained as an architect, right? But then I went into organizing because I'm I'm undocumented. Um, And so those are the aspects of the storytellings and notions that we need to dialogue about, right? So that we can create these notions of collective sense uh, that won't be accomplished until we are like vulnerable with one another and fill in the gaps and say when we are ourselves like facing a wall, right, of our own lack of knowledge or uh, or where our ignorance might not be telling us the result, but that ultimately if we bring those concerns and that feedback or those questions to our collective spaces, we will find those answers together. Um, and I would urge everybody, right, to think about it from that way, right, that we get to create that alternative collectively and together, and we really do need to do that. And that no no individual is going to come up with the right answer, right? We keep relying that our politicians are going to be doing the right call. We are in the wrong, right? Because ultimately, they also possess many privileges that don't really allow them to see the daily struggles that people are having on the day-to-day. And that until that person gets on the negotiating table of what those policies look like, um, 
we're ultimately are always going to come out with policies and procedures that are always going to be band-aids and reformists and not really approaching real solutions uh, to the issues that we've been addressing and that con- will continue to address uh, during COVID-19. You, you actually touched on the two things that I was going to throw in there, which are one, bringing a reparative model. So looking at where, whether that's uh, indigenous displacement and then also redlining and other discriminatory housing practices, taking uh, a, a reparative lens to that. So if in that redistribution, it's not about everyone gets the same stimulus. It's about understanding the reason that one person has more is because it was taken from the other person and that that's what you're balancing out. And then the other one, uh, you mentioned being an architect, thinking about the ways that design can feed uh, that collective spirit, right? So when you look at architecture in other countries that are in the round or a shared social structure, or there's a courtyard in the middle that everyone's rooms look onto, as opposed to a wall or a fence or, you know, an autonomously standing uh, unit, understanding that what we build, uh, the the physicality of it will impact the way we relate to each other. And, you know, now in an apartment building, so much of it is the isolation of like everyone has their number. The reason you have to get to know your neighbors when you're organizing is because the physical structure hasn't mandated you knowing each other at all. So those are the two things, was thinking about the design and thinking about uh, a reparative uh, understanding of redistribution. Um, we did it. Now we just got to do it. <laughs> uh, last question uh, before we get out of here, and it's a two-parter. Um, one, what should folks, including us, uh, be doing to support the work of ATU in this moment? Uh, and two, what's something that you've been doing, if not every day, close to it, to help you be more okay or closer to okay in this time? Uh, I think that everybody could go and sign the Action Network petition that ATU created that has over 17,000 signatures, right? This is in order to demand Governor Prisker to use his emergency powers to lift the ban, right? Because that's the main, uh, right now, impediment towards, like, this cancellation of rent aspect, right? Is that municipalities in the state of Illinois cannot exercise any type of rent control or any type of rent holiday or relief uh, on any municipality in the state of Illinois. Illinois because of the legislation that exists from the 90s that prohibits any municipalities in the state from exercising that, right? And so if we want to address some kind of way of ultimately they come out of fine housing at least a bit, right? Then I think rent control or lifting that ban will be a great like next step towards that, right? As long as we also keep in mind this vision of what we just talked about in our last mm-hmm. question. Uh, I think as ATU, right, we're standing in a stance where we're not agitating tenants to do rent strikes unless that that's what they collectively decide, right, to do and uh, exercise their rights as tenants uh, to do so, uh, that we want them to be informed about the consequences of what those actions will look like, right, especially under the system that we live in, where landlords and private property are going to be prioritized over tenants and uh, family security. The other ways that people can contribute, right, is uh, making sure that other people are aware of this situation or these uh, different efforts that are being like done, right? And so, like media, like you, what you're all doing, right, and like 
making sure that the message uh, gets amplified so that it really can create a movement itself. Um, and that's something that I've been doing every day. I think that's been like supporting me and helping me uh, during this time, right? Is like connecting with other folks. Uh, I think at one point I took like quarantine and social distancing as like an excuse to like just like be in my own apartment and just kind of like in my own like emotions and feelings uh, while also realizing that yes, it's not the best venue, right? Like communicating via screens or phones or FaceTime, uh, but that we can still rely on one another even when no physical contact is done. Uh, So I tend to like want to FaceTime at least my family and see them uh, to make sure that I feel grounded and that I feel like I have some fresh air, right, to continue my day, uh, especially as we continue to hear more and more that unfortunately we're not naming the elephant in the room and that nobody's calling out the real enemy or the real target uh, of what we are facing and that we're yet to face in the upcoming weeks or months. So what I'm hearing is don't be in your apartment alone, just you and the elephant. Like talk to other people. You can't talk to the elephant. That's the whole problem. (laughs) Elephant ain't trying to hear that shit. One one last thing that I saw on your site that I just want to shout out. If you're a tenant who is interested in starting the process, I know there's a toolkit on the ATU website. Uh, where should people go for that information if they're looking to, you know, start building this collective power? Yeah. So any person that signed a petition, right, uh, they got a toolkit that ATU put together. Uh, this toolkit goes all the way from like summarizing like tenant rights uh, from the residential landlord tenant ordinance, as well as the Illinois Protection of Rights as well. Um, We put together that and then also some of the strategies and tactics that ATU has used in the past, right? Such as like a calling campaign or doing a Facebook group for your tenant unions, uh, how to even like communicate a tenant union formation to your landlord, right? And the protections that that brings you as a tenant, right? Against any type of retaliatory behavior or even eviction in some cases. Uh, So yeah, check out our toolkit on our website, uh, sign the petition as any signer of the petition, right? They're also getting tools like that, like the toolkit, but also any other upcoming like call to action that people might need, right? Like last week, we did a, a huge wave of calls to Governor Prisker. We know that he's aware, right, uh, that this is happening, that there's uh, 17 signatures on this petition, but that ultimately he's still refusing to even acknowledge it or contact it to you. So we're going to need every single person that is hearing this to make a call to Governor Prisker, right, and to say, contact to you work on a project that really cancels rent and that lifts the ban because that's exactly what we need to do as a first step to even approach what our vision of housing as a human right would need to look like uh, for the upcoming years or decades to come. Listeners, you got homework. Thank you so much for chopping it up with us, sharing your thoughts, your perspective, your work. We're at Ergo Radio. I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. And we'll be back on the line with another person reshaping our city and world for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Rosie. Daniel. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look who's here in the studio. It's me. How's it feel to be in here? Well, I was a little nervous Uh earlier, but Mm -hmm. now I'm a little more calm. Wonderful. Them staring directly <laughs> into your eyes. But we do that all the time anyway. Yeah, but there's not always all this equipment in between us. Well, maybe this will help. Let's play a game. Okay. 
So I'm thinking maybe like a taboo. Taboo. Like I'll give you some clues and then you'll have to guess what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Does that know, make sense? I know how to play taboo, Daniel. Oh, you'd prefer if I did not taboo explain? Yes, please. All right, let's get started. Timer on the clock. Ooh. All right, first up. Okay. It's an independent podcast app. Got it. It embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Mm-hmm. It has no exclusives. Mm-hmm. No premium content. All right. No paywalls. Great. And it's a great podcast app for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know it? I think I do. Huh. What do you think it is? Sounds like the Overcast app. Beep, 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 beep. Toots got it. Yay. Look at that. I win. Nicely done. How does one get the app? Well, if one were to want to get the app, one could get it for free in the app store. Fantastic. Cool. You going to check it out? I might. Very wonderfully non-committal. Excellent. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Let's get out of here. Bye.